Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control your own body and get the health care everyone needs has been stolen. And now politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect your right to control your own body and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, you can help reclaim your rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Here's an HIV pill dilemma for you. Picture the scene. There's a rooftop sunset with fairy lights and you're vibing with friends. You remember you've got to take your HIV pill. Important, yes, but the fun moment is gone. Did you know there's a long-acting treatment option available? So catch the sunset and keep the party going. Visit PillFreeHIV.com today to learn more. Brought to you by Vive Healthcare. Hello, ladies. The three Hi. of us are together. Hello. The Holy Ooh, Trinity has returned. <laughs> us three witches. Listen, it's spooky season. I love it. I'm Sam Sanders. I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Zach Safford. And you are listening to Vibe Check. My, my, my. Okay, first up this week, we've decided it's time, friends. It's time to do a vibe check of none other than Governor Gavin Newsom of California himself. Not the none other than. <laughs> none other than. The one, the only, the shellacked Gavin Newsom. Wow. We're, we're going to do a vibe check because, you know, there's a lot There's a lot going on there. Good, bad, in between, and we're intrigued. And then we're going to switch it up. And we're going to talk about, so it is, you know, fall, winter is almost upon us. And so the joke is always like, ooh, it's cuffing season. It's time to get into a serious relationship. But look, not in Hollywood, honey. No. Not in Hollywood. All of Hollywood is saying, let's listen to Freedom by Beyonce. Freedom, freedom, cut me loose. They're, they're all single. They're all getting divorced. <laughs> they are melting the handcuffs down. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it into jewelry, baby. Basically. Turn it into jewelry. So I I'm excited to talk about that. But before we get into those two conversations, my sisters, how are you feeling? Zach, how you doing, honey? Sai Jones, I am relieved. And I am relieved because our queen, Beyonce, Giselle Knowles Carter, has finally given us a date for her visuals, which is World AIDS Day, which yes. is an ode to Uncle Johnny. Shout which out is to Uncle amazing. Johnny. I'm just beyond excited. I have my tickets for November 30th at 7.30 p.m. <laughs> so I'm going the night before. I'm just beyond excited. I'm so, so happy about it. And I'm just glad, you know, we're going to see these visuals finally after what has it been? A year plus? <laughs> what a journey we've been on. Yeah. Well, and also, it's such an interesting week for Beyonce because she announces the tour video, you know, coming to theaters. But this is also the week where the North American tour is done for now. The last show yeah, happened, over. and it's like the numbers are kind of amazing. By some measures, Beyonce's American tour, just the American part, generated 
$4.5 billion in the American economy, which is as wow. much as like Incredible. an Olympics would. Oh, in the economy. So it's not just yeah, the yeah. show itself. And like, wow. I was just looking the other day, yesterday, there's a video of all the progress that Blue Ivy has made during the tour. Oh, I saw they that. They showed a video yes. of her mm -hmm. dancing in that first show she came out on and then dancing again at this last show she came out on. And it was really remarkable. The growth mm -hmm. and like the bravery that she showed to do mm -hmm. this, you know, for months. Mm -hmm. When I first saw her on the stage, I was like, I don't know how to feel about this. Am I watching nepotism? Should I care? But by the end of this tour, I was just realizing Blue Ivy is a young girl who did a very brave thing and didn't just yes. do a very brave thing. She got better the whole time. So like, mm -hmm. hats off to her. I saw a tweet that said it perfectly. They said, Blue Ivy's progression in this tour is a reminder that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to begin. Woo! And that is Ooh. exactly it. Yes. You just have to start and be committed yeah. to the work and, and try and try and try. And yeah. she did that. It's we are great. so proud of her. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny to speak of her impact, uh, not just Blue Ivy, but also her mama, the impact <laughs> on the economy, because I got to see her last week in New Orleans. Yeah, how and was it? Of course, it was incredible. But also, for me, what was such a huge, and I'm so grateful for my friend Adam, who was like, we're going, we're doing this. I had to move mountains to be able to go, but I'm so glad. But to see the phenomenon, so, so for some examples, in the city of New Orleans, I can't remember which radio station it was, but there was a radio station that played Beyonce music 24-7. That wow. I guess like that time period. And that was really fun. You know, she hits the stage around, I don't know, 9, 10 p.m. But around 2 p.m., if you were in, in the city limits of New Orleans, at any point, if you turned around, you saw someone wearing silver somewhere. Uh, wow. You know, it just, <laughs> wow. it just particularly in a city like New Orleans that loves to celebrate a holiday where people love to go all out. It felt akin to mm. her creating a holiday. And that yeah. is a different kind of impact. Because, you know, we, when we saw Beyonce in London, you know, maybe now and then you see a group of Black women be like, oh, are you going to see her too? Mm -hmm. But to see when it's like, oh, the impact, particularly in a proudly Black city yeah. that an artist like Beyonce has, woo, that was powerful. Yeah, and like, it all kind of changed when like halfway through the tour, she was like, I think y'all should wear silver. Right? Something right. she what? did there yeah. turned it into... <laughs> Fourth Sunday church service yeah. or yes. a family reunion yeah. or like a themed cookout. Mm -hmm. It like made the whole thing just, I don't know how I say this, but it's like extra black. It did make it extra black. And I love the Jenna Wortham essay in New York Times Magazine that came out this weekend. That is the, the piece that the New York Times put out that helped us understand the economic impact. I think it was Jenna who first reported yeah. the 4.5 billion that you just mentioned. But in it, Jenna talks so eloquently about silver and Beyonce's uses of silver. Color. And that material has the highest ability of being electrified out of all the other wow. materials in kind of the in the As world. So it's amazing that like she was using something that literally creates electricity to make us feel electric that also feels like a disco ball that feels like a crystal all these things it just it's really amazing yeah there is something visually very powerful about seeing both the diversity of looks the different ways you can bring a color and a style but also yeah you look out and you're like wow we did something together it's fun yeah it's, great. it's fun yeah sam my love how are you doing you know how the aunties and uncles will sometimes say casually or when asked how they're doing Oh, you know, with everything going on right now, with everything mm, going yeah. on right now, uh -huh. I'm having an with everything going on right now week. Okay. It'd be like that. It'd be like that. And mm -hmm. it's fine. I'll get through it. But I had one of those nights where I slept four hours and I was just up, mm. uh, you know, just up. So, you know, you 
do the thing you do when you have stressful weeks like this, which is try to sleep some more, try to exercise some yeah. more, do things like this and talk to your friends. But yeah, yeah, getting through it. Is there like a song or movie or something you find yourself drawn to in moments of stress mm. that brings you comfort? You know, I honestly just like to play the saxophone myself. Oh, oh I did not know you that. Make your own music. Yeah. So in undergrad, I was a music composition major, and I've been playing the saxophone since I was, gosh, 10 or 11. And was this close to trying to become a professional musician. And I've always played, but during the pandemic, I picked it up again and I'm taking saxophone lessons again. And honestly, that's a stress reliever. So yeah. that's part of oh, the work I love too. That. Anywho, that's all this beautiful. to say, my vibe is woo child, but uh, woo still child. we rise, still we rise. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Saeed, what's your vibe this week? Ooh, my vibe. So I'm back home. So much has happened since I last talk to you both. You were traveling a lot, right? Yeah. In a period of one full week, I went from being in New York City to the Berkshires, where I did a book festival, had a wonderful weekend up there in Lenox, Massachusetts, did a, like a two authors in conversation event. In this case, it was with my dear friend, my best friend, Isaac Fitzgerald. And so we talked about being friends and artists, writing memoirs and what we've learned from one another. And that was really cool. Then it was back to New York. And then I was in New York for like a day, flew to Cleveland, did a poetry reading of my book, Alive at the End of the World in Cleveland. And that was really great and moving. Shout out to Lisa and the folks at Max Stacks Bookstores. Shout out to, and I can't remember your name, but shout out to (laughs) the Black lesbian beloved woman who said, look, I didn't know your event was happening tonight. I found out about 20 minutes before we started. I was in my nightgown. My wife was in her nightgown. And I found out you were here. And I'd already read your memoir, you know, a little while back. And she said, I jumped up and I left. And she said, I had to leave my wife. She wasn't wasn't getting dressed (laughs) fast enough. So she was like, can you sign this book for me and this book for my wife who I had to abandon? I was like, oh my gosh. It was so cool. The fandom. So fun. (laughs) Yeah. And then I went to New Orleans to see Beyonce. And then left the next morning. So literally, like, Beyonce was still singing at 1 o'clock in the morning. Wow. But at 5.30 in the morning, I was up and headed back to the airport (laughs) to get back to Cleveland. (laughs) I saw you post, I think, a photo at 7 a.m. local time of a selfie from the plane of you smiling. And I thought only Beyonce could have Saeed Jones smiling after no (laughs) sleep and getting on a plane. What a journey, what a journey. So then I got back to Cleveland. My book won the Annisfield Wolf Award for Poetry, which is a huge honor. Applause, thank applause, you, applause. thank you. It is the only juried award for books in America that focus on racism and diversity. It's over a hundred years old. So they kind of contextualize that and they're just like Zora Neale Hurston, Langston Hughes, Nikki Giovanni, Alice Walker, Maxine Pong Kingston, you know, Jericho Brown. And then they're like, and now it's time for our first award poetry, Saeed Jones. And you're like, wait. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, just to, yeah. to be in that canon was really cool mm-hmm. and just beautiful. So I'm back home now. I am a little tired, but I'm also trying to, I don't know if you've had an experience in your life where like a lot of really cool things have happened in rapid succession and you almost feel a private panic because you're like, was I able to take it in? Was I able to to be there and to Mm. really absorb? So I've just been home just trying to think. (laughs) 
Yeah, it takes time. Yeah. Well, and also this like switch from summer to fall that requires Ooh, a certain amount of resetting too. as well. Uh huh. It was a lot, but I'm so happy to be back with y'all. Well, I'm glad that you're here. And do you get some rest now? Is there is there going to be more travel coming up, or do you get to sit in at home? theory? I think I'm coming to see y'all in L. A. for something. You're coming next, next week. Oh my god, you week? are. <laughs> <laughs> we can announce now, listeners. You can pay to get tickets to go to this. Uh, next Thursday, Bloomberg is having a two-day conference on the future of media and entertainment. It's called Screen Time. And Vibe Check will be doing a live taping of the podcast, not this Thursday, but the next Thursday, which is October the 12th. It's early in the morning, 8 or 9, I think. But if you want to come, just Google Bloomberg Screen Time. Find that conference. You can see us there. Other folks like Issa Rae will be in attendance as well. Ooh. All right, we have one more announcement. And this one's going to be really fun for all of our listeners. Drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. We are about to embark on the first ever Vibe Check Book Club. I'm so excited. Uh, we need sound effects. We really I'm sorry. Yeah, I was like, we really Zach and I are just like, <laughs> we're very excited. <laughs> listeners, we are going to read a book that is fundamental and required reading for our current moment. It is called Poverty by America by Matthew Desmond. Saeed, you can do it better than I can. Describe this book for our listeners. Well, one of the reasons we're excited to talk about this book is because it's organically come up in conversation between the three of us anyway, and also throughout the podcast, if you've been listening closely, we've referenced it, especially I think like in the spring when we started reading it. But basically, it's all in the title, Poverty by America. Essentially, his argument is that poverty doesn't just happen. I think generally we are kind of led to believe by quote-unquote common sense or quote-unquote economics to think of poverty as just misfortune. Some people just have bad luck and they just, ooh, we're just lucky not to have their circumstances is how we're led to believe and and that things just kind of pile on people who have the circumstances and things get worse and worse. And he says, no, poverty, like wealth, like power, is constructed, reinforced. And so poverty is built by America. That's what the title is urging us mm-hmm. toward. And, and it's a very concise book. It's very tight, which we love. You can read it pretty quickly, actually. I really like, because he makes a very strong case, a lot of vivid, tangible examples, whether it's from housing, from the way food benefits, childcare, the history of the welfare state, the way in which wealthy people actually benefit from welfare, but we don't think of it that way. But when poor people want to use those benefits you know there's shame attached so um it's just it's just very relevant to i think so many things that the three of us but also so many of you care about yeah and it's it is a read about what is a depressing topic but it's written so well and it flies by so quickly you don't want to put it down you don't i'm really enjoying the book you're shook you're shook. Yeah. You're gonna, yeah. It's one of those books where I had to get two different color highlighters, and this is pretty rare, but it was just because I, I was like ending up highlighting like the entire mm-hmm. page. And then I was like, well, now I won't know what's the point of this. <laughs> what was I trying to yeah. underscore for myself? Yeah. And listeners, so we want you to read this book, not just because the three of us are going to talk about it together with y'all on the show and take your questions. We also want you to read this book because once we're all done reading it, we're going to have Matthew Desmond come on the show and answer your questions as well. We'll have the author of the book talking about this book that we're all going to read. So take October, 
read Poverty by America, and very soon we'll all be in conversation with the author about it. Yep, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author yeah. for his prior book, Evicted. So, you know, he's a very, yeah. very smart guy, and we're very excited to have him on as our first book club guest. Yeah, yeah, and I believe he also won the MacArthur Genius Grant, so this is his first book, you know, from that huge honor. And I always think that's exciting because I'm like, yeah. ooh, wow, okay, so you didn't have to worry about paying your bills. You didn't have to worry about pleasing gatekeepers. You got to write the yeah. book you wanted to write. So I'm excited to talk to him about that. Same, it's going to be great. All right, listeners, before we get into this episode, we want to thank all of you who have sent us fan mail and reached out to us on social media. We absolutely love reading your messages. Keep them coming at vibecheckatsister.com. All right, with that, y'all, shall we jump in to today's episode? Let's get into it. All right, to start, we are going to check the vibe this segment on California Governor Gavin Newsom and talk about how all the things he's up to right now can tell us a lot about how race and age work in our politics right now. I will explain, but first, top line question for both of you, really quick, keep it quick. Before we talk more about Gavin, what is your quick one sentence take on him? Go, rapid fire. Okay, my one sentence take would be the liberal Trump is on the rise. Liberal Trump? The liberal Trump is on the rise. Okay, Saeed? I would say the enemy of my enemy is a Democratic standout. Okay. So we see here no ringing endorsements. <laughs> okay. No yeah. ringing no endorsements, ringing endorsements, of endorsements Because I think, yeah, I think the gist is he's influential. He's Very. one to watch. He's Very. making yeah. moves. Very. Sometimes he really impresses me with the decisions and actions he makes. And we're going to talk about some of that. But I don't know if I feel safe with him. That's why I was You know, yeah. I hear that. I hear that. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on with Gavin right now. So to start, Gavin Newsom is not running for president. And he said so several times. But he's been getting headlines for the last year plus that make it seem like he is. He has been in this ongoing battle with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and is set mm-hmm. to debate DeSantis on Fox News next month. This comes after he also ran a political ad in Florida last oh, year. Oh, I forgot Gavin about did. that. Remember that ad? Mm-hmm. It was really weird. Mm-hmm. He recently got involved in negotiations over the now-ended writer's strike. And many weeks, it seems like he is out there on the talk shows talking policy and politics even more than Kamala Harris. Gavin is the most running for president, not candidate, to ever exist. He's not (laughs) running, but it feels like he's running. I want to talk about that and what it says about the age bottleneck at the top of the Democratic Mm -hmm. Party right now. But before Mm -hmm. we go there, we got to talk about Gavin's latest bit of news. Just last week, and we all saw this, California Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein passed away after being in failing health for months. And Gavin Newsom, as governor of California, had the job of replacing that seat should it become vacant. He said for over two years now that he would fill that seat with a black woman. And a few days ago, he did just that. Newsom appointed LaFonza Butler to the seat. She's currently the president of Emily's List. She was a labor leader before that. She advised Kamala during her 2020 run for the presidency. And she'll be the first out lesbian senator from the state of California. It's a big deal. Love now, that. this appointment just lasts for the next election next November, but it is a big deal. But I got to say here, and this is what I want to start talking about first, is 
I want to know why this makes me feel kind of weird and, dare I say, kind of icky. I am really excited that a black woman, that a lesbian is getting this job. I'm sure Gavin Newsom mm -hmm. is excited that he gets to do this thing and perform allyship. But the politics of it all feels like to me as if black womanness is being used as this political bargaining chip and it feels off. So I want to ask y'all yeah. first in this Gavin chat, how should I feel about this? I mean, I think your feelings of it feeling off are correct because just, you know, on the surface, it is really off how black women are being used in this political calculus. So if you just take it by face value, you know, the three Democrats in California that are vying for the Senate seat that are currently running for it are Barbara Lee, who's a black woman, she's about 77, and she's a beloved woman of California, and people thought she's the obvious black woman pick under Newsom. But she's running, and Newsom said, I don't want to pick someone that's currently running. So she was put on the, the back burner. After her is Katie Porter, who's very you know popular in Congress with her little whiteboards and everything. And then there's the iconic, sadly iconic, Adam Schiff, who Nancy Pelosi is obsessed with. Is he iconic? He just, he's in, been around forever. I, I don't think I've ever heard the word iconic associated with Adam <laughs> Schiff. Like, but that's actually like, fair. We're like, gay <laughs> like, fact check? Anyway, yeah. go, go with your part, baby. <laughs> but, um, you know, Katie Porter and Adam Schiff are leading the polls. Barbara Lee's third. So mm. LaFonza's addition to this political calculus kind of knocks see. them out. And now it makes these two white people lead so that the next when the elections happen, you know, they're not going to be able to be in Senate anymore because LaFonza doesn't she's allegedly not running. So it's kind of like she's gone. And now Barbara Lee has been knocked down more because she's in office. So now we just have these two people. So I'm like, what is going on? Why are black people being used as pawns in this larger chess game within Congress right now? So how do you feel about it? Um, well, okay, so one, LaFonza Butler, she's a graduate of an HBCU. I believe she went to Jackson State. Yep. Her work in labor, when labor and the labor movement is so important. She also briefly worked with Uber, which kind of maybe complicates that. You know, I'm just going to throw that in there. How does everyone briefly work for Uber in well, California? Yeah, which is, I feel like that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, she was at Uber for a year. But then, you know, Emily's List, an organization that works to get more women into politics, clearly a strong focus on reproductive justice, again, at a time that it's being assailed. She is... New to me, I will say, it's, I, I can't pretend that she's someone I've been following, you know, for years and years, but as I've been learning more about her, wow, what a moment to have her brought into this room of power, the U.S. Senate. Really incredible. And I think, you know, her values resonate with the moment and with so many of us. And when we think about so much of our frustrations with particularly the Senate, right? Like, like we haven't had a Black woman <laughs> In the U.S. Senate, since Kamala you know, left, since Kamala the became presidency. the VP, and she, yeah. you know, she shows up, I guess, technically to break ties, but even just that, and then to have an out lesbian from the state of California, incredible. That said, I think these pledges, you know, Biden pledging to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court, he did, and did, again, yeah. she's incredible. Kamala Harris, you know, pledging that his VP would be a black woman. These three women are lions of politics. They are lions of public service. It is frustrating that these pledges, though, make their career trajectories about the white men. That's yes. what feels complicated to me. And yeah. it feels like the white men that make these pledges, they get bonus points for doing that with their base. You know, Democrats mm -hmm. will be like, oh, good for you, Joe Biden. Good for you, Gavin Newsom. But, you know, a black woman who walks into this kind of job after that kind of pledge... I am guessing 
she'll face a lot of people second-guessing her, looking at her sideways, and have to spend years proving that she was worth being there besides just the pledge. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about how this feels different than affirmative action to me. You know, when affirmative action happens in a workplace on a college campus, usually there's more than one black or brown person there and no one's ever saying, well, I directly know that affirmative action got you here. It is this unquestioned mostly kind of thing where you know it exists, but you don't get dependent on any one person. This feels like the most public and specific affirmative action that just puts a lot of expectation and burden on the recipient. And I keep wondering with all of this, could Joe Biden and Gavin Newsom just not made the pledge, but just done the work? You could have just appointed a black woman and not been banging your chest over it for so long. Because again, the moment you learn about LaFonza Butler's career background, her values, her values, you're like, oh, it would be fucking awesome to have her in the Senate. Because the thing is, those pledges, I don't know, maybe this is short-sighted. Maybe when we take the long view and we're like, 20 years from now, baby, we won't give a fuck. We got a Black woman on the Supreme Court. Who cares how she got there? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's how we will feel. But I guess I'm trying to say for him, this was a very savvy choice, particularly the fact that he just vetoed a very popular bill that would provide unemployment for striking employees, which I think understandably has outraged so many people in the state of California. It doesn't feel coincidental. He was like, oh, perfect time to announce. <laughs> perfect time to announce this. So it's, you know, he's he's playing politics, which which is what it is. I don't know. Sometimes I do go back and forth. I'm like, Saeed, do you want to win or do you want to feel nice? Do you want yeah, to be assuaged yes. at all times? Yeah. I wonder if LaFonza is just like, I got this job and I'm doing it. Like, Hello. I don't want to put words in these women's mouths either. Like, this might just be the way it works out and you do your job and you rise, but it feels weird and it feels like it's actually distracting from the fact that the people still really really in charge of the democratic party are older white men you know Mm -hmm. and just to pivot for the next angle of gavin you know gavin newsom was thought by many to have supposed to run for president already he can't and he's not this cycle because joe biden is running again to be the oldest president in history What's his gambit? Because, yeah, it does feel that he's living in a different reality. You know, he's living in a reality in which, I mean, talk about another pledge. Didn't Biden say initially he was only going to run for one term? I think he kind of alluded to that, yeah. Yeah. He did. But I think what you're seeing with Gavin Newsom is that I think the Republican Party during Trump has let go of the old ways of thinking, which was very dynasty-driven. You know, the Bushes you know, Reagan associated people, all that. They're all about like who has political clout and legacy and they've moved away. And now we have this whole crop of people who have no legacy and are chaotic and are building power. The Democrats have been obsessed with legacy. I mean, you look at 2016 and Obama rose out of nowhere, became super powerful, but never had an heir under him. He didn't pick someone in the Senate, in government to really elevate. So Hillary Clinton was the defunct pick, and then that didn't play out how we wanted it to. And then Joe Biden also falls into this legacy. And I think Newsom sees that legacy in politics doesn't really work. People want someone young, fresh, different outside the box. And he's trying to become the obvious heir to the Democratic Party when it realizes it can't act like it used to. It's to your point, side. it's like, do I want to win or do I want to feel good? And Democrats have been so much about like, I want to feel good. I think Gavin Newsom's 
thinking, I want to win and I'm going to deploy the same political apparatus that Trump did. And that's why he's on Fox News all the time. That's why he's mm. going to Florida. And he's just trying to garner power that way in a way that Democrats don't typically do. And it's yeah. it's going to work for him. I think he will become president one day. I want to talk about what Gavin and what he's doing right now says about age. You look at Gavin Newsom, a really charismatic attractive politician who people know and is rising the ranks and you compare him to joe biden who is much older and whom when polled most of his own constituency and his party base says maybe he shouldn't run what does gavin not being able to actually run this cycle say about the way our politics are treating age right now you know you see joe biden running again you saw what happened to diane feinstein you saw what happened to mitch mcconnell like you've seen this layer of elderly leadership at the top of our politics that's not moving. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, where's the mentorship? Yeah. Where's the sense of really thinking in real time, not just about appointing your chosen next successor. Yes, that's important and practical. I think Nancy Pelosi seemed in the House, I think, to be thinking about that a little bit more, but more broadly, like the new generation. And I want to be clear, it's interesting, Zach, your point about like the Republican Party. It's an interesting model because, yeah, they, they have a shoed legacy and everything. They're like, you could be a TikToker or you could be a total, but that's how you get Marjorie Taylor Green, right? So it's not, we don't want to romanticize necessarily you know, this other model. But yeah, I think LaFonza Butler is an indication of like, look, there are clearly so many capable people out there. By the way, she also worked, I believe, on Kamala Harris's 2020. She did. So she's not totally out of left field, you know, so to speak. But, But yeah, I think it's just the Democrats are ultimately fighting with one hand tied behind their back. And what's tying it behind their back is a commitment to legacy, a commitment to waiting your turn, pay your dues in this very specific yeah. way. And I wonder a lot how much this commitment to legacy is also just one of the effects of the way that we do our politics. You know, a lot of other developed nations do a better job of publicly funding their campaigns for office, which means that people young, old, right. rich, or poor can run kind of on an equal footing, mm-hmm. much more so than they can in America. And so because America relies so much on money to make campaigns go around, the politicians who have the most money are the oldest because they've had the longest time to either build their wealth or build their connections right. to wealth. So right. the money of it all is also helping compound uh-huh. this age problem because as uh-huh. old as he is, Joe Biden's probably the most successful fundraiser the Democrats have because he's been doing it forever. Right, right. And Emily's List is one of the most successful fundraising groups mm. in America for Democrats. Mm-hmm. So there is a consolidation on power and money. And LaFon's, I think, maybe an example of like maybe the Democrats thinking outside legacy, but looking to money and thinking of new ways to garner power. But we will see. But Gavin Newsom has a plan. I think yeah. that's like the TLDR today's and there's I do, a plan. We're seeing it happen. Okay. <laughs> and I do want to say, even setting aside age, and that is really important, but like the fact that we have this idea and this conception in our minds that if things were a little differently, we're like, well, obviously Gavin Newsom would be, well, even that's in construction. Mm-hmm. The only reason he's like the person where we'll go, well, obviously it would be him is because he's wealthy enough and he's a go. governor and, and with a certain, yeah. you know what I mean? Connected. And connected. Yeah. And he's been in politics. He's a part of the machine too. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's, it's interesting that the machine doesn't even do well by its own cogs, so go. to speak. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. All this to say, everything Gavin is dealing with is like this wonderful way into all of the weird issues facing not just Democrats, but all politics Mm -hmm. right now. That said, before we close this segment, as promised, we're going to give a vibe check on Gavin. Post this discussion, what shall's vibe check on Gavin? My vibe check on Gavin Newsom is I think Commander would bite him. Joe Biden's dog. Joe Biden's dog. Joe Biden's commander would bite Gavin Newsom. And that's the that on that, honey. Wow. Uh Yes, I agree. Dogs be knowing. Dogs know, and I, I think he's a bit slippery. He's a bit. He's a very handsome, yes. slippery. Not uh-huh. slippery. All I'll say is, whenever I see Gavin Newsom, he gives me big boiler room energy. Remember that film from like two thousand? It's oh all God. about these like really intense stock bros, like finance yeah. bros. Oh. He gives big Wall Street energy. Yeah. Anywho, Gavin, we're watching. That's all, listeners. If you have thoughts on Gavin Newsom as well or what's going on with the way age and race plays out in our politics right now, shoot us a line, vibecheck at stitcher.com, vibecheck at stitcher.com. Yeah, and I especially would love to hear from people in the state of California, you know, because I remember, like, when I was living in San Francisco, I think he was the mayor of San Francisco at one People have People have thoughts. And he's such a constant now in California. We've uh-huh. been, Californians have been watching Gavin Newsom for yeah. so long. Read us in. Read us in. Okay. We'll be right back. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Hey there, Zach Stafford, co-host of Vibe Check. And something I heard really early on in my career was this phrase that has never left me. It is, you can't be what you can't see. And for me, that is so true. All of the Black people I got to grow up and watch on television, be journalists, and so much more, are the foundation to why I continue to have a media career. And that's the case for so, so many people. And if you're looking for the next generation of influential Black voices in media, you can find all of them on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. We are back, and even though cuffing season is upon us, uh-uh, a lot of us are saying, Ariana Grande, it's time to break free. Celebrities are getting divorced. They're breaking up. They're separating. It's a mess out there. And uh, I just thought I would play a short list of the hits. And I want to tell you, <laughs> the hits. I went into this list with a few names in mind, assuming that, of course, I'd see some surprises, and then was fully gagged, actually, to see how extensive this list is. This is just a 
short list of the number of celebrities that have divorced or broken up this year alone, and this year isn't over. As of just the other day, Jody Turner-Smith and Joshua Jackson, Tiana Taylor and Iman Shumpert, Hugh Jackman and Deborah Lee Furness, Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner, who's been adopted by Taylor Swift, as we all know, <laughs> Tina Knowles and Richard Lawson. I forgot about Miss Tina. I oh, forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. Miss Tina, she's wow. out here free. Um, another couple, America and Democracy. I was just paying attention, seeing if y'all were still listening. That was <laughs> wow. just a test. Wow, this that guy. Was just a test. This guy. Sophia Vergara. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia Vergara and Joe Manganiello. Ariana Grande and Dalton Gomez. Honestly, I didn't even know they were together. It was so secret. It was very confusing. Ricky Martin and Juan Yosef. Big news for the gays. Billy Porter and Adam Smith. Big news for the thays. And then Britney Spears. <laughs> Saeed. <laughs> Saeed. That was comedy. Leave Go it on. in, Chantel. Go on. And then one more. <laughs> one more. Britney Spears and that asshole, Sam Ashgari. Again, that was just a short list. Not all Sams are assholes. Not all Sams? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So, Wow. I have some theories, but first of all, how do y'all feel about all these breakups? Did any of these breakups hit y'all hard? Did you gasp no, when you saw no. the news? Not even Jody and Joshua, Listen, because I'm here to tell you, I'm going to fact check you, Zach. You were shook yesterday. That's what I was going to say. Okay, it was. As an elder millennial who lived in D.C. in his late 20s, which means I wore that J. Crew gingham shirt everybody wore for several years, I thought because... Joshua Jackson and Jody Turner were doing a J. Crew campaign together mm. that they would never come you said asunder. That has to be for life. That must be for <laughs> life. <laughs> J. Crew is for life. So that one really shocked me. They were a very beautiful couple. The ads were really cute. Also, Joshua Jackson, I forget how I met him, but I met him once and how he talked about Jody Turner was with such complete admiration. Like he, like, you know, sometimes like there are mixed couples where it's like, uh, this white man has not done the work. He is not really deserving of this person. But he mm. was just so adoring of her and treated her mm. like the ground that she walked on was gold. And I thought like he would just, they would be together forever. And you know, mm. they had a kid and it was very highly publicized. So that was the one I was really shocked with because she's also at Paris Fashion Week acting like she's not getting a divorce, which has been the most shocked this year is that all these people are divorced, but yet like Tina Knowles is at a Beyonce concert, not sweating about it. You know, Sophia Vergara's out here at events, not sweating about her divorce. Like people are really public and not really mm -hmm. mad about getting their hearts broken. Which feels like a quiet statement on the relationship itself, right? Yes. They're not like in hiding necessarily. Yeah. Sam, what about you? You know, I see all these divorce headlines and I keep asking myself, is this an off year for celebrity divorce and divorce? Or is this just par for the course? You know, the stats remain the same. About half of all marriages end in divorce. And when you dig into the stats, it's even funnier. Every progressive marriage after your first has a higher likelihood of divorce. Third marriages have a 73% chance of divorce. On average. <laughs> really? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So part of me is like, is this just the way it works? Or I'm like, is something in the air? Yeah. I think there are a few things going on. As I've alluded to on this show before, celebrities are really shook. Yeah. Going through three years of deep pandemic. I know we're still mm -hmm. in it, but like three years mm -hmm. of deep pandemic. And then thinking you're back and having to go into a strike where actors still aren't acting. I think their sense of self which is often driven by their exposure and attention, mm -hmm. has been warped. 
And it's probably changed yeah. the way they see everything, right? That's related to my theory too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I keep thinking about is like, we have reached peak influencer moment. We have reached peak celebrity sharing their whole lives moment. So we expect yeah. more than ever before for anybody famous to actually tell us about their marriage and talk about it a lot and say how much they're in love and go on a podcast and say how they make it work. And so when they get divorced, we just notice more, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm thinking about right now. Yeah, I think that's so spot on about the visibility and the transition from you know the 90s where it was paparazzi chase celebrities because they were so private. That's why exactly. paparazzi fueled because they yes. weren't wanting to talk about it. And now, and now paparazzi can't make money because the celebrities do it themselves. That's why they're sitting out in front of Carbone or all those other Italian restaurants in New York that Taylor Swift keeps taking heartbroken women to. So it's like, that's the only place they can make a dollar these days. But outside not, not of that- you, you know, literally making me choke. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Swift's Lonely Hearts Club. Her Lonely Hearts Club through Italian foods in downtown New York City. But beyond that, I just want to like call out the amazingness that is Channing Nichols, who predicted earlier this year when Venus went into retrograde for a long time that we were going to see a ton of people breaking up. Mm -hmm. And if you don't follow Chani on TikTok or use her app, she did a lot of weekly readings that was like, hey girl, how's your heart? What's going on? Really? Because I'm sure it's under a lot of turmoil. And yeah, I would say personally and professionally, I've seen more relationship challenges this year than ever before. But mm -hmm. we're also hitting an age. We're all in our 30s. And we entering 40 like this is when you have partners so mm -hmm. it also makes sense that we're all going through a lot right now first of all shout out to Channing because i i'm all up and through that app it's also because it's very well written Channing's a very yeah. good writer and yes. so I, I enjoy that but to sam's point yeah i think to celebrities being shook because to me you know we talk a lot about how what is it they say for like for a successful business like retail is like location 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 mm -hmm. relationships yeah, are yeah. like kind of proximity 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 mm -hmm. you tend to form intense bonds with people that you see a lot yeah. however yeah. that bond might manifest you yeah. know could be different and so i think celebrities in hollywood particularly obviously the actors it's like look they just went through lockdown something we all went through obviously but then they kind of went through something that's actually pretty unique right because not many americans are members of sag for example yeah. so for them being on strike i think it impacted them because I'm not naming names, but I noticed during lockdown, a lot of writers who travel a great deal normally for their work, when lockdown happened, and then they were home consistently with their partners, oh, yeah. there was no in-between. Oh, yeah. Either exactly. they came out the other side of that experience stronger and more clarified in their love, or they were like, yeah, so I've been having some meetings with divorce attorneys. And I wonder if actors, you know, they're just like, I've been home. I haven't been getting the adoration and attention that I'm used to. I'm realizing that you actually suck as a father. What do you mean you've been doing that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just think there are a lot of me. What do you mean you've been doing this kind of experience yeah. for celebrities over the course of the last few months? And so, yeah, they're making they're making some decisions. I will say, you know, I always take celebrities and what they do seriously, because in many ways they give us the scripts for how to live our lives. Mm. And so I do want to ask both of you, you know, watching these celebrity divorces play out, some messy, some nice. How is that? writing or editing the script that we all use in our own breakups as like not famous people, I think it does give cues, you know? Like how many people have like shaped their breakups on Taylor Swift lyrics, right? Like this stuff actually affects yeah. us. What, and we're seeing with these famous divorces will like rub off on the rest of us, you think? Oh, what will rub off? I think 
you know, what I think Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are showing us within the world of celebrity, because I don't think, you know, everyday folks go through this, but I think celebrities go through this, and it's what Saeed just said, proximity, is that don't shit where you eat kind of thing. Like, stop working within your industry with people that you're also competing against and that your whole lives start to fuse together, and then you also have to compare yourselves with them. Because I think a lot of these celebs, due to the lockdown, due to the strikes, you know, we're having existential crises about their careers, and then they're having a partner that, that is also their competition in many ways, and that they also see as either helping or hurting them depending on where their career is going. So I do think people like Taylor Swift are looking to other industries like athletics to have a partner. Where it's like, <laughs> listen, we can come together and not talk about there you go. what I went through today. So I think that's what we're going to see is people being individuals in the relationships and not, you know, sharing an identity is mm. kind of what I'm taking from these celebrities is be yourself be and find yourself. someone that just loves yourself and they can be themselves and it doesn't have to be this melding together of two people. Yeah. Saeed, what do you think? I mean, I guess, look, and obviously this is informed by the fact that I went through a breakup earlier this year. So what I am projecting onto or extrapolating from celebrity <laughs> breakups and everything like that is is all, you know, mixed up and mingled up. But I do think this is sincere. I don't think this is me just trying to do spin. When I find out that a celebrity couple is getting a divorce, my first reaction is not that they failed. Mm. I don't assume a breakup unless someone tells me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Unless someone says, damn, you know, we tried really hard and I'm, you know, mm-hmm. unless someone tells me that, I don't assume it's about failure. More times than not, my sense is someone learned the truth about themselves. And they Ooh. said, you know what? I need to go to a higher altitude and I don't think yeah. you can breathe in this kind of oxygen level. Yeah. Someone yeah. just learned the truth. And so they're, go- you know, they'll be okay. It's not that yeah. it's easy, you know, and, and that's why to me, seeing Tina Knowles. <laughs> Just like not skip a beat. She was like, like, she was like in Houston, seemingly days later, you know, I'm like, of course. And Jody Turner Smith, you know, she went to her one true love anyway, fashion. That's why she had Paris Fashion Week. I will say, you know, whenever I see these divorces and then see the rates of divorce, I'm really of two minds. I love weddings. I've officiated several. I love my friends who are married and in healthy relationships. But given the odds... I would not be surprised if most of America said, why would I ever get married? You know, given the odds, people keep doing it. And I'm kind of like, huh, this is interesting to me. Well, marriage, it is on the decline, according to lots of research. Like Less and less people are getting married. And, you know, part of me thinks, to your point, they're thinking, why? I feel like our generation, I'm the child of divorce. A lot of my friends are children of divorce. Divorce sucks. It sucks. And it was really prevalent. It's become so prevalent. And I think a lot of us in our generation are like, let's take a beat. Maybe I don't need to be married by 24 to this man where the sex is great, but like everything else isn't fitting. Like maybe I should just wait till I'm 35 to figure this out. But the other thing is I think people are just waiting longer too. They're like, yo, I'd like to be in like Sophie Turner, for example. She's 27. She should be single. Girl, leave that man. (laughs) Get a babysitter for those kids. Go be beautiful and run around in these streets. So I think that's also happening. So I, I think we're seeing the script in which so many people live their lives through love is rapidly shifting in this new age and we're not feeling this need to like get married and have kids because who can afford the house to have them in so also one more thing and all these divorce statements the ones that have kids they'll be like and we're going to beautifully and healthily co-parent our kids don't brag about that that's your job you're supposed to take care of your 1, kids. One thousand percent. You're yes. supposed to take oh, care my. of your kids. The only ones that I'm like, holy shit, why are you doing this? Are people like Anderson Cooper and his ex partner? I think they still live together and they're co-parenting together. That's not my ministry. I will never do that. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, two things. One, I've realized there's some words that I'll just never believe. 
And most like nope. 90% of the way that they're used, I just don't believe. One of them is humble. When someone refers to themselves as humble, they're you just not. go, no. You would never yeah. say that. It's like when folks say, I don't do drama. That means they do. That's the person. It's like, yes. look out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people are like, oh, we're breaking up, was it amicably? It ain't. <laughs> I'll just never. It ain't. Amicable, I don't know. It ain't. I've yet to see amicable out here in these streets. And then the second thing is, frankly, I think... One, because of divorce, but also just as we learn how like life really unfolds. And I love you were talking about like mixed families and and parenting and stuff. I think if if there's anything that we have to learn from these high profile breakups, it's like how to make it work, you know, different models mm-hmm. for family structures and parenting. And, you know, I think that's really interesting. But um, it's real out here. And I would rather see people happy than see them unhappy together. So one thousand percent. Yeah. Okay, we're going to leave it there for now. I also asked this on Twitter, and the answer almost astoundingly, because I was like, what are some of y'all's favorite celebrity divorces? And without fail, it was like any woman who managed to get away from Tom Cruise. We Woo! celebrate you. Yes. We celebrate Katie you. You are, you are trailblazers, Nicole Kidman and I mean, Katie Holmes. But the iconic one is Janet Jackson divorcing her husband the day that the prenup said that she oh. And she took like a billion, right? She took a bunch Legend. of money. She was <laughs> like, like you have served your purpose. <laughs> Thank She's it's like, a thank move. you. I'm going to be rich now, too. Richer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We're not separating. We're not divorcing. It's just Wow. Wow. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back. And before we end the show, we'd each like to share something that's helping us keep our vibes right this week. And to get us going, I'm going to look to Sam Sanders to hear what's giving him life right now. My recommendation this week, and I'm surprised to even hear myself saying this, the latest season of The Bachelor, The Golden Bachelor, in which the Bachelor contestant is like in his 70s or 70 or older. It's great. It's really, really good. He's very handsome. But beyond this, because I want to go more into this, Sam Sanders, you really like dating shows. You love like Which love is funny. <laughs> like I just have I'm just not realizing that. You watch a lot of dating shows. I sure do. But um, yeah, so tell me more about the show. Are they all 77? Like what's happening? So here's the thing. This is the most wholesome version of The Bachelor I've ever seen. Mm. You know how it usually goes with The Bachelor. They're young, they're hot, 
they're kind of dumb, they're drunk, and they're playing yeah. games. Girls getting their heart broken, and they're like crying into their champagne. And it's manipulative, and it's messy, and it's nasty. I don't want to watch anybody's nasty. grandma get her heart broken. But here's why it's different, Saeed. No. Everyone here is kind of on the level and actually there for the right reasons. So the first 10 minutes of the show is you hearing the Golden Bachelor's story. He was faithfully married to his wife for decades. They retired, bought their dream house, and a day or two or three before they're supposed to move into the dream house, she had a really bad bacterial infection and then she died just as oh they were gosh. going to move into their retirement home. Then the opening montage goes to the Golden Bachelor and his adult children counseling him and encouraging him to get back out there and find love. It's so Dang. wholesome and so pure. And the first way in which we meet this bachelor is him telling us how much he's a good guy who just really believes in love and has shown that to be his case, right? Then I'm pleasantly surprised that the women contestants on this show, they're of an appropriate age. They're in their 60s yep. and their 70s, oh, a lot okay. of them. <laughs> they've gone through heartbreak. They've gone through okay. loss. And they're very candid about what they've dealt with. And oh. then you get all these women in, you know, the places where they wait during The Bachelor to, like, drink and talk amongst themselves. It's usually mm -hmm. really catty between all the contestants. Mm -hmm. These women had a dance party together with the golden bachelor uh, and it was so communal <laughs> and fun and wholesome and i just can't overstate the good vibes coming out of this show in which the franchise forever has been bad vibes but yeah. it's a wonderful surprise yeah. and it warmed my heart so the golden bachelor really sweet thank you has anyone it. gone home yet have any of the women i gotta catch up on the latest episode okay. the first episode i mean this yeah. does sound real. now i'm kind of like i want i want everyone to it's I really want everyone sweet to get their rose or it's whatever it's really sweet well oh, and you know man. just to tie to this divorce conversation you you know, no matter what you deal with, marriage, divorce, separation, etc., uh -huh. you're never too old to find love that works for you. And this show is a reminder that. of that. I'm telling you, man, okay. they got me. They got me. The uh, Golden Bachelor. Wow. I'm watching tonight. That yes, was a I, really I good. Fence, but that was good. Ooh. You, okay. You no, know, ABC holla. <laughs> <laughs> Lord. Saeed, what's helping you keep your vibes right this week? Yeah. So I thought I would read another poem that's been on my mind. You know, I was traveling a lot, doing a lot of reading events and in conversation. And Marie Howe, she's a legend. She's a legend. And um, she's someone I, I've gotten to meet her a bit, but I would say it's more fair to say I'm a student of her on the page just from studying her work and the decisions she makes line by line. But in the last week, she's just been on my mind a lot. And so I've just decided to uh, share this poem that was published in the May 2023 issue of Poetry Magazine, a wonderful, iconic literary magazine. And as I read it, you will understand why it resonated with me. The title is Postscript by Marie Howe. What we did to the earth, we did to our daughters, one after the other. What we did to the trees, we did to our elders, stacked in their wheelchairs by the lunchroom door. What we did to our daughters, we did to our sons, calling out for their mothers. What we did to the trees, what we did to the earth, we did to our sons, to our daughters. What we did to the cow, to the pig, to the lamb, we did to the earth, butchered and milked it. Few of us knew what the bird calls meant or what the fires were saying. We took of earth and took and took, and the earth seemed not to mind. Until one of our daughters shouted, it was right in front of you, right in front of your eyes, and you didn't see. 
The air turned red. The ocean grew teeth. <laughs> the oh, ocean grew how? teeth. Wow. Oh, gosh. I There's love so that. much. Go- so obviously, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in writing about calamity and all of that. I mean, it's an incredible poem. But the, what I want to point out on the craft level is the poem has such a rhythm, right? It's almost mm-hmm. soothing. What we did to the, what we did to the, what we did. You know, it's almost hypnotic and you're pulled into it. But the themes, the idea of the poem is in such conflict with that. And it's almost mm. like this should not be rhythmic. It should not be hypnotic mm-hmm. and soothing. And so it's just interesting. I've been thinking about like the way pleasures and rhythm work to sedate us, work to get us to mm. be assuaged by circumstances that we should not find comforting. And so I just love that in this horrific poem, I mean, what we did to our daughters. I mean, that's just a a very scary idea on its own. She's making it seductive and we we need Mm -hmm. to live in tension. We need to push back, you know? And so I just, I love, I mean, one, it's a beautiful poem. It's a smart poem, but I love a poem where there's work being asked of us. And so the work that Marie Howe is asking us to do as readers is also the work we need to do as people. And I love that. I love all of it. Ooh. I also just, I love it when Saeed reads poems. I just always do. <laughs> I enjoy it. I think I it's going to be my do. new, you know, I'll pop in and out with like normal recommendations, but when a poem's no, on my heart, I'm going to, I'm going to share it with do you. Do it. Zach, what's your rec? Um, sorry, I'm just like basking in that poem. Right? so good. Oh, my rec is also a dating show, Sam, oh. in, uh, in the vein of you. And I oh. didn't even know you were picking a dating show. So mine is actually a, a show that I've watched for a long time secretly. And now the shame has been washed away and I can talk about it. And that show is called Naked Attraction. I know it's you. Max. What is Ooh. Naked Attraction? What, what happens I... here? <laughs> Wait, what happens on this show? I think I know, but tell me. You nasty. It's... Wait, uh, hold on. We're about not going to nudity shame. So, We're not going to do so, it any shame. So, Naked Attraction is on Max, which was the surprise of the century because this show, you could only used to watch it on Pornhub.com for Whoa. years. Oh, so it's like full frontal, <laughs> not even blurred oh, out. Oh, yeah. But anyway, the show is British and the show has this amazing host who is clothed the whole time. But each episode, there are two contestants and there's two rounds and each contestant gets six people in boxes that as they're going through questions of well, with these people, the boxes raise and they reveal them fully naked. And at the end, in you the see box. the face. The look on Sam's face. Wait. <laughs> and, and you wonder why you, the divorce rate is so high. Y'all nasty. <laughs> and Sam, you need to just watch an episode. It's do I need to watch an episode? Like, it is, do I need to watch an episode? It is, it is blowing up because there's so many, there's a backlog and they put like six seasons on Max out of nowhere. Oh, wow. No warning, just drop we need to heal we need to heal (laughs) and people in america are pissed because it's max their kids just log on and they're like what's the show on the front page and they click it and these people not only are they naked the whole time the camera sits and it's not blurred it's not blurred blurred. do you ever see their faces you see them at the end. At the very end. But like literally wow. for 15 minutes, you're just seeing wow. someone's That's genitals. a lot. In no face. I want to ask you so, to describe your experience watching it. How do you feel when you watch the show? <laughs> Seriously. I think it's not very sexy. It's not like a pornographic experience yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, that's other content that I would watch if I wanted that. This is more of a practice go- hearkening back to my conversation with Jenna Wortham about being on a naked beach. It normalizes bodies in this way. And to hear these people talk about each other's bodies in these really body positive ways. They're not being critical. They're not giving notes. They're not saying you should lose weight or that that looks weird. They're all giving, you know, mostly positive. Do they have different types of bodies? 
so many different types of bodies. Huh. And it's also interesting because I think it's a really great show for you to see the difference between like gender and sex identities hmm. about like how does gendered identity kind of live way outside what like the actual physical body may look and what you may assume. Because at the end, you see them all get dressed. And you're like, whoa, that's how you present yourself in public. It's so wow. radically different. You've taken me on body, an so. entire it journey. It worked. Yeah. Wow. I it's say, really cool. Okay. The recommendations this week oh. of vibrant, Chef's robust... Kiss. Trio. Yeah. Who knew? Love, love, love. We love it. So anyway, listeners, please check it out. Let us know what you think. Also watch this elder bachelor. Golden I'm watch bachelor. It. Yeah. Golden, so golden bachelor. He's so handsome. Let us know what you're watching, what you think of these shows, and send us in your favorite poems. I'd love to see what you're reading there too. You can send all of that at vibecheck at stitcher.com. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, please make sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast listening app. Tell a friend. Threaten them if you must. They'll be grateful for it. They'll be great. Scared at first and then grateful. Huge thank you to our producer, Shanta Holder, engineers Sam Kiefer and Brendan Burns, and Marcus Hom at Theme Music and Sound Design. Also, special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. Listeners, we say it all the time, but we mean it. We want to hear from you. Do not forget, you can email us at vibecheckatstitcher.com. Also, stay in touch, keep in touch on Instagram at Sam Sanders, at The Ferocity, and at Zach Staff. Use the hashtag vibecheckpod when you do. All right, stay tuned for another episode next Wednesday. And I'm serious. Watch The Golden Bachelor. Okay, bye. 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 Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks.